We see e-commerce growing. More and more businesses want to implement digital commerce. And number of people who have expertise was not growing as fast. And if you don't have expertise, then you're missing opportunity to increase revenue because you're not implementing best practice. You may not even understand. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. I'm very honored that we have you here today. My pleasure. I kind of started following your podcast before I knew you personally, so I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, you have so much experience. We just discussed it a bit in in the pre-talk we had, but experience on product development in tech, yeah, mostly in, in, in software. You have 35 plus years experience in the space of tech and B2B, various companies. So we're just laughing a bit because you have more experience than, almost more experience than I have life years, let's say so. So I think we can learn all, the listeners can learn a lot today. So let's start from the beginning. So how did you start your career? What inspired you to go into product development or in tech in general? I think you started as a developer, right? Yeah, I started as a developer and actually work as developer and architect for kind of first, let's say, I don't know, half of my career at least. Even like by education, I'm in a degree in physics and lasers, but I always work in development. And this idea of kind of solving complex uh, logical challenges and creating something that didn't exist before was really appealing to me. Mm-hmm. So I worked as a developer, was even part of uh, first internet boom where I was architect, later became CTO of this company. When we developed a web-based email and calendar, and it was 2000, mm-hmm. it was kind of really Early. very, very new web applications there, very exciting and interesting. At that time, my career took a bit of turn, and I was joking that I crossed on a dark side and instead of writing code, started to manage people. And that led also in 2008 to kind of my first exposure to e-commerce. I became a CTO of a Canadian company called Elastic Pass. Yeah. Which is still one of the e-commerce platform on Gartner Quadrant and so on. So this was kind of my first exposure to e-commerce many years ago. But even at that time, when I was joining, I was like, okay, there's nothing to do there. Like, what's, uh, it's just a shopping cart, uh, mm-hmm. press add to cart button and you're done. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are, probably like 15 years later, and there's still this continuous stream of innovation that goes in our industry, which is very exciting. Yeah? And since then, I actually stick with e-commerce and worked for other e-commerce platform company like Hybris, which is a CP e-commerce cloud now. I was VP of product at Spryker. I was a company called Web Interpreter, which kind of for small merchants localizing their stores and all of that. Yeah, I think it's industry keeps growing, new challenges to solve. So I think we can probably... Continue working in this area for quite a long time and still enjoy it. Definitely. And a huge example also, I'm a product guy as well. And I think a lot of things that I like as well. I started as a developer myself as well. I made the switch pretty soon also to manage people in that indeed, or to, let's say, I would always say bridge the gap between business and tech. And then also I started with e-commerce and I never let go because it's so interesting. And I think we are here in the right moment of time that this yeah, where it was just starting, what you, yeah, you started a little bit earlier, but when it's just started this whole e-commerce thing, if it's just B2C or later on B2B and where it is now, it is still continue to evolve and it is the major way of doing business, right? It's not about digital commerce anymore. It is the commerce or it is it the is marketing. The commerce, yeah. Yeah, every, so, every aspect of it. 
Yeah. yeah, no, interesting. And we will have a lot of interesting insights, hopefully, from you today. So let's start with one of the questions I had is one of the biggest lessons you learned from all of these projects or product you work on, let's say. So, and that's maybe, that's maybe a big question, but maybe you have a, a story to tell or something to, to share with us. Probably too many stories to tell. So, <laughs> but one thing, especially is talking about kind of customer projects and what uh, customers are implemented. Yeah. One of the main lessons I learned is that they're all different. Yeah. As soon as you kind of go into uh, like bigger businesses or within different industries, they're different. It's good to know uh, standard implementation patterns yeah. and functionality, but I think we need to appreciate this uniqueness mm -hmm. of each business, yeah, and tailor solutions to its need. And that's, I think, where real value is delivered. And if I can go with the second lesson, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. that's kind of more that lesson that I learned that many companies stop the implementation too early. Okay. And you probably saw it as well. I think from one side, we're all fans of this approach of agile approach and kind of mm -hmm. doing MVP and, and all of that. But I think people who are less experienced in that, they overemphasize minimum. Mm -hmm. And underemphasize uh, viable. Yeah. People are great at starting. They break into small things. They're getting it released, but then they see this as a project versus that's a product that's constantly growing in industries that's constantly evolving that adds new features that vendors are producing with better ways of doing this. And they sometimes come to the dead end. Yeah. Yeah. And the other kind of danger I see is, and I really want to write more about this is that in a rush to implement this first release, and get online as early as possible. People sometimes making not spending enough time to thinking about actually how, how it's going to be look at the end. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong is actually it's very good to move forward with kind of the small yeah. steps. Yeah. But steps should go towards your end goal, mm -hmm. not completely aside. And it's difficult. It's really, you need to have expertise to understand how to strike this balance. Yeah. Because the worst thing you can do is to have this first implementation, to get it ready as soon as possible. And then you either stuck in the dead end or you need to spend another f more time to actually redoing this because you actually wanted to go into different direction. So that's uh, is other things that I is sometimes more often that I would like to. No, 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 definitely. So I think the two lessons that you shared. So I think the first one is that about, let's say, so realize that every project or every customer is different. Although you want to, as a SaaS product, or maybe as a, it doesn't matter what kind of product, but let's take e-commerce platforms and you want to bring all the customers on the same product, obviously, but you need to understand, I think, as a product person, but maybe also as a as a B2B customer, that there are uniqueness things in, that make your organization as good as it is. And if you embrace it or if you can indeed support that in the product that you're supplying, then you can increase the value for that customer. I understand. Mm -hmm. And is this also something like a lifeline that you have or a best practice that you have, let's say, used or implemented with Elastic Path, with Spryker or with that you always were looking to enhance the product to make it yeah, extensible or to give the customers a unique feeling or to implement that unique part? Absolutely. Again, going from project to platform development. Yeah. 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 Because uh, you in this business and I was doing this as well. Yeah. That's very difficult balance because you don't want to... One of the main kind of guidelines I was giving to product managers on my team yeah. is that if a year from now, the only way you can explain why is this feature in the product is because some customer asked for it, 
Yeah. You have not done your job. Mm-hmm. It happens. We, we are under all, a lot of pressure. There's a very good reason to get the best for important customers and all of that. Yeah. But as platform developers, we need to be doing something that a works for most of customers. Yeah. Each feature should have reason to be in a product yeah. and behave in the way that it behaves based on what market needs, what how we use. So that's the first thing. And the second, because we're doing platform for neither you or I was working for Shopify, where if it's out of box and mm-hmm. here you go, use it this way. Yeah. We're working for businesses who are unique, which are unique. Yeah. So the question is when you're developing things, okay, you also need to think how it can be adopted, modified, changed to fit different industries, different user conditions. This is a difficult balance to feel, and I'm sure you know it's firsthand. No, of course. That's my daily struggle, I would say, right? I think that is the never-ending product dilemma that you have. You know, resources are limited. There are always wishes. and But I think one of the things, at least we are doing with Sana, or in general, I have only my small small part of experience. You have more, but I think we have some things is to have some principles in that sense that you can guide your, that defines your DNA of the product. And yeah, on one hand, and that is also really related to the market that you are, of course, targeting. And with Sana, for sure, we have coming actually from long, long time from an agency background. It was hard to get rid of all those custom wishes from customers. But now since we are 100% SaaS organization, we had to. And that was just by defining, let's say, some principles. Let's say, yeah, everything that we built or what we will release mm-hmm. is for all customers or should be benefit for all customers in some kind of way. And that can mm-hmm. also mean that you make something extensible or flexible so that all customers can give their own spin to it, right? So that if you are yep. in fashion, you want to maybe do your content or your B2B buying behavior in a different way than if you are in chemicals. But still, mm-hmm. if you implement then a feature, if we talk about features, at least we have one of the first principles here at, at, is that you build, oh, uh, how I guide my product managers, product owners, mm-hmm. is that we build it for all. They should all benefit in some way. And we are not taking a feature just uh, because there's one big customer coming in there and say, I need this. Because I think on the long run, if you build software products like this now in the SaaS, what is this? It will always yeah. hurt. And some technical debt is going to for sure. you sooner yeah. or later. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. And also, from if you look at it from a customer perspective, so if you are implementing a B2B platform, then I think there is this big trend now. Hey, of course, you everybody wants SaaS and uh, wants to keep it standard, but that is good. You need to do it. But on the other hand, don't forget about what made you unique as a B2B business. And mm-hmm. Don't think about 20 or 100 or 300 things that make you unique, but find that one thing or two things and focus on that. Because most of the time that will fit in a platform like with Sana. If we find that together with the customer and we can make a special and sometimes can be an advantage in how things are being shipped or something or how it's being calculated or to be shipped. You know, these kind of details can be there and that can make your uniqueness in comparison with the competition or it can be in assortments, these kind of things. You took a very special approach, so you know your customers. Definitely, it's great that you have these principles and applying them. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And the other lesson is also the of what you mentioned is that you do not need to always keep the dot on the horizon in there. And I think that that counts both for doing product development like we are doing. I think it's very important to keep that North Star, and we call mm-hmm. it actually a B-hack, but that is another other principle, but the North Star is maybe easier to understand. So just know where you want to go. And but for customers that are starting with B2B or are evolving their B2B platforms, I think it's 
indeed also an important lesson that you shared to keep that North Star because yeah, often it's just like a one-off project. But now in the world where digital commerce or B2B commerce is commerce, I think you continuously need to involve and work on it mm-hmm. and not see it as a one-time project that can fail or can start and so on. That's another one. Good one. So yeah, great start already. Talking a little bit more about B2B e-commerce. So what do you think of the current B2B e-commerce landscape? And we can talk about it very broad. It can be about what trends do you see or about technologies. Just your expert view on it. Generally, the words that comes to my mind is kind of booming, exploding, growing. That's, I think, the best way to describe it, which is really interesting because several years ago, it was a niche Yeah. with a, a really small number of vendors. Mm-hmm. Focusing on it, like for example, Hybrids had B2B solution for a long time, but most of the vendors were saying, okay, yeah, we can do B2B versus we are B2B focused. Yeah. And now I know, I'm sure I don't know all of them, but probably know close to 10 B2B focused companies who are just doing B2B. Yeah? yeah. Many B2C vendors also started to move to B2B. When I was a spriker, it took us at least two years to implement kind of basic B2B, not basic, but kind of sufficient B2B functionality. That's good. I think that's definitely from technology perspective, from vendor perspective, everybody recognizes that's the next frontier, there's more opportunities there that growing and so on. Yeah? And I think the same happened from customers, and I'm sure you also see this and it's uh, positively affects your business, that two things came together. I think pandemic, of course. Mm-hmm. When all the, oh, my salespeople cannot travel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. Like, and also this generational change in both buyers, mm-hmm. because there's a generation that comes and making control these buying decisions, both budget and also people who are actually doing this purchasing. It's an internet native generation. Yeah. yeah, and they're all spoiled by great customer service, customer experience, user experience, usability, easy to do, easy to follow as a, as a personal experience. And then they come and see these old interfaces, or I need to pick up the phone and call somebody and place the order. I cannot find information. They send me printed materials and all that. So this disbalance between generations that expect online commerce or access to information in some way or another and companies who were not used to provide it. So I think that's another huge trigger that really made B2B booming. And I think for also from technology perspective, we solved most of the complex problem. And now even because B2B is always complexity, we can, we can mm-hmm. talk endless yeah. about it. Yeah. But we know how to solve them. Yeah. We know how to sell complex services, product, product and services, uh, products that requires consulting type selling and all of that. So it all came together. So I think B2B e-commerce landscape is super exciting place to be now. That's for sure. That's for sure. And yeah, couldn't agree more. There is, there is a lot of momentum from all directions. So there are more vendors. Customers are taking it more serious or it's now just part of their business. Eh? Once again, it's not digital commerce, but it mm-hmm. is their commerce. It is their marketing also for B2B. So yeah, that's definitely have changed the B2B landscape rapidly i think yeah the last year so yeah everything is in full speed now yeah in the end i think it makes the world in that sense a better place in uh, that you can do your if you support these customers or these b2b buyers they need to spend less time or there is less traveling needed to from salespeople to go to uh, in the old-fashioned way to go in the car and go visit 10 customers to get in the orders 
Yeah, that is sales people help. become more productive. That's uh, that's about that's it. It's not sure. e-commerce versus sales uh, yeah. team. It's e-commerce helping sales team to deliver correct. better service to their customers. No, correct, correct. So definitely, really nice to be, yeah, in this generation or on this wave. So yeah, talking maybe a little bit more about complexity in B two B. So you have obviously a lot of experience, and by implementing B two B functionality on the platforms that you that you named uh, when they were starting with it. So according to your experience and talks with companies or the projects you work on, so how does e-commerce or B2B e-commerce and integrations revolutionize the business or how important is it or what can you share about that? B2B is inherently more complex mm-hmm. than B2C. Obviously, comes from different reasons why it's more complex. Yeah, mm-hmm. First of all, you're selling to organizations, so there's multiple people involved in buying process. I think Gartner identifies six steps, kind of yeah. every company goes through kind of to make a decision. And as soon as you have these multiple people involved, you're immediately talking about roles, permissions, workflows, longer sales cycle, kind of going back and forth, as well as communication with the customer, which tremendously more complex than, okay, I'm buyer, I, I need this chair, I go to the site, press buy button, done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. May ask my wife or may not. Yeah. So that is definitely adds a lot of complexity. The other side is, of course, more complex products. Buying some equipment or even spare parts or some chemical, as you mentioned, I'm sure you have some customers in this area. Yeah? It's just much more complex product. You have a more complex catalog, more complex product definitions. You need to give customer additional help to discover this product, to understand what products they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously that adds to complexity. And the other thing I would say is you need to look at B2B as a process to optimize for productivity because people are coming there to do your, their job. It's not like kind of, okay, I'm doing window browsing. I have a lot of things with my way. I'm busy person. I'm professional. I need to do this. This is my requirement. I may not fully even understand them, but I need to solve this because I have millions of other things to do. Yeah. And that's not easy to optimize and allow people to do bulk orders, negotiation, getting information fast and all of that. So that's just several aspects of why, where B2B complexity comes in and vendors need to address it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Yeah, one of the things we are doing is, of course, that a lot of this complexity we have seen that is already living in the backend systems of customers, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that is, I think, the way how we solve it is that we surface that to the B2B buyer with the, with the intelligence storefront in that sense that is yeah, integrated fully in the, in yeah, most of the time, the ERP of the customer. So that's how we do it. A couple of other vendors also do it or in, in hybrid forms in that sense that they, some parts is solved in the solution, some parts they take from other things. But I definitely agree with you that it's not only about it is also the, the automation process, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. that is often being forgotten. Uh, they all say, yeah, it's about bringing orders in or making, solving the, to buy a complex product to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's correct. But it is also about automation and you want to uh, make your sales force more, salespeople more effective. For example, you want to evolve mm-hmm. there or maybe a reduction on your support people or optimizing that because yeah, nothing is actually so bad if you have people doing repetitive tasks and that cannot be solved by 
automation or in, yes, in some yes. form of and uh, repetitive task using uh, kind of a mainframe style interface yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing <laughs> would make <laughs> modern person day than this. exactly they, they will not be happy that is definitely there and what we have seen as well is that you you have a lot of knowledge in the b2b e-commerce space so that you even started making courses so yeah, you're now yeah maybe you can share yourself but you you just launched a b2b course or you're working on it right so yeah, what is it all about? Or what are, what are you doing in that area? Sure. I'll probably start from my first course, which wasn't a bit overall what motivated me to do it. Yeah? Working with many companies, I mm-hmm. recognized that there's a general lack of e-commerce skills. And it takes time to get this expertise. None of us becoming experts in something that we haven't tried before and all of that. Mm-hmm. So we see e-commerce growing. More and more businesses want to implement digital commerce. Yeah, And number of people who have expertise was not growing as fast. And if you don't have expertise, then you're missing opportunity to increase revenue because you're not implementing best practice. You may not even understand them. Yeah, You're losing money because your implementation takes a long time because only fast implementation is driven by knowledge. And you're also running a lot of risk because you may go in the wrong direction. You may make it mm-hmm. without realizing this, not on purpose and all that. So I saw this kind of this skills gap. And there was a lot of courses on e-commerce marketing. That area is quite well covered. There was some training for developers, mostly vendor specific. Okay, I want to be Magenta developer. I want to be Spryker developer. I want to be Hybrid developer. I can do. But there was nothing about e-commerce implementation Focus on e-commerce implementation to give people what's e-commerce skills, what is e-commerce process, what e-commerce functionality even exists, mm-hmm. what you need or may need or don't need on your side, depending on what business you are. Yeah. And this is a goal that I, I saw this gap and yeah. then I wanted to really try to close it. Initially, I just started I'm just collecting materials because, again, this is my unique experience working for free e-commerce platform companies kind of gave me that. Then I wanted to really do it in this base. So I thought, okay, it will take me, I don't know, a couple of months mm-hmm. part-time, but of course, it took much longer. So I developed my first course, which is called Digital Commerce for Your Business. It was published about two years ago. Since then, more than 200 professionals graduated from okay. it. And then I started to work on B2B course, which again was interrupted because I was doing something else. And this week, as you know, I achieved this milestone and I actually... Congrats, released... yeah, nice. Yeah. It is there. <laughs> yeah, so it's really a program that explores in all great details of B2B commerce implementation and operations. It mm-hmm. teaches you how B2B commerce is different, what B2B functionality you need, why it will benefit it, what's the options, how to do it and all of that. It's not technical. Okay. People in different roles will benefit any member of e-commerce or digital commerce implementation team from salespeople in agencies to developers in agency because they hire great people with great expertise in their area. Okay. But they may not know kind of all e-commerce and especially don't know B2B e-commerce. So, so I'm very excited that I managed to achieve it. I'm continued working on it, improving it. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah, first of all, I think listening to your story about this course, I think we both agree. We see the same with Sana, right? When we, especially in the B2B, I think for, let's digest your answer a little bit. So indeed, there is quite some materials about how to optimize conversion rates and digital marketing and all that stuff. There is a lot about developing coding and how to do that properly. But in between, how to do projects, how mm-hmm. to be successful, maybe everything for the, yeah, the commerce persona that is 
leading that project or the you can say it is an e-commerce manager or head of or director of commerce maybe there is material indeed but was missing and, and you're filling that gap so i think yeah. that's great we are with this podcast also sharing a lot of knowledge so that, that's because there is a need and it's great if you share then indeed samples because i've seen a couple of snippets and samples or your best practices and i think you were also one of the perfect persons to do so because yeah you have seen three platforms and a lot of customers probably so i think you mentioned there are each from around 400 different samples or, or pictures or something right so that you have yeah yeah i was trying to aspects. illustrate yeah i was saying yeah, yeah. okay if you want to illustrate you, you have uh, configurable products yeah mm -hmm. okay so maybe you have configurable product as a kind of you selling corporate wear, yeah? Like you yeah. have t-shirts with a Sana Commerce logo. <laughs> logo it, yeah, it's yeah. one configurable product. Or you want to configure glasses, different prescription, different mm -hmm. frame, different mm -hmm. lens, or you have configuring some complex part yeah. for your machinery. Yeah? Yeah. So I'm trying to illustrate these patterns, examples from different industries, because again, the commerce is different, each product, each business is unique, but there are patterns that if you know them, you can apply to your business and benefit from them. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think that is cool that you also, it's not only about describing what is, for example, product configuration or what are subscriptions or what is, let's say, tailored pricing and all that stuff, all those B2B topics, but you also feed them with samples. So that's cool. Hey, and if you look then at obstacles or challenges that B2B companies need to overcome. We always love to talk about adoption because hearing back from customers, especially when they have already tried the B2B e-commerce implementation, most of the time they are complaining or they want more adoption. They say, yeah, why well, it's only 5% or 10% of our customer base is adopting the platform, which we just spend a lot of money in the past three years. And then they come to Sano and, and they share that complaint. So, but what is your take on that? What can companies do if they want to improve adoption i think your previous guest on podcast really put it down <laughs> should we respect our customers <laughs> yes and make make it easy for them to do business with yeah you're referring to kurt kurt Anderson. yes yeah, yeah, yeah. referring to kurt which is a really great quote i fully kind of behind it and also talk about this in my course as well that in the web your competitor is just click away mm-hmm that's a B2B, B2C, uh, that's it. Like there's no monopolies you can, uh, people really can navigate. So sometimes I think people take their backend processes, mm -hmm. how they work, and just put them online yeah, without rethinking them. Yeah? Yeah. But these processes were designed for your employees. Yes. They designed with assuming they have this internal knowledge, while your customers are not. So you eliminating the salespeople who was translator from one language to another or from one process to another and just throwing it to your customers. Yeah. And customers say, what the heck is that? Yeah, I, I cannot <laughs> find things. So just give you uh, one of examples. Yeah. In B2B in general, businesses used to only deal with the customers they already have contractor agreement with. Yeah. Okay. So you're coming, let's say they put a website there. So custom potential customers coming there, no prices, no information saying, okay, Send me, uh, fill this form and uh, mm -hmm. let's establish contractual We evaluate your credit limits. This will take, I don't know, days, weeks, whatever. Yeah. And then you can actually browse and see the problem. Yeah? Sometimes there are good reasons for it. You don't want to show your price of competition, all of that. Mm -hmm. But there are also ways to do it. Why make it even? Maybe some products you can sell without this verification. Yeah. Maybe you allow customers to buy anonymously the first purchase. You can limit payment method. Okay, don't let take credit card, don't pay on, on an invoice and all of that. 
That's one of the way how customers can make it really, really easier to do business with you. Yeah. And then the others, the millions of other things you can do. We talk about productivity. Yeah. I'm a busy person. I want to do as quickly as possible. I don't want somebody to call me back to do initial research and all that. We both know the B2B buyers can buy in bulk. They may know these uh, SKUs by heart. So you mm-hmm. need to have special pages for them, for these bulk orders, for doing search by a SKU number versus just endless browsing and all of that, ability to reward and all of that. So I think that is a really important steps. Make it easier to do business with you, optimize for productivity, and also don't shy away from adopting some of the best B2C e-commerce techniques. Mm-hmm. Like B2C really knows how to promote things. Yeah, I recommend actually B2B organization to hire somebody who has B2C experience. That's, a, that's and a they bring tip. different cultures there. They bring different approaches, and they can benefit from it. Yeah, totally. I really like this part, and that is also what we see with our customers. In that sense, that if you are because what, there is a funny fact here as well, because if you are taking that backend processes approach, a lot of customers start from there. And they end up with a requirements list like this, right? Because mm-hmm. it's very unique. It was created over the years and so on and so on. And also it will never fit most of the time on any platform, right? There is always then work to do. But if you turn it around and say, hey, but look from the outside, from what your customers actually expect in something simple, or why do you need to have this complex pricing model? Even with Sana, we can take all of that complexity. Most of the time, it's from an internal process because there was some commercial benefit for their sales force to in, in the old ways, how they mm-hmm. were selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe in a new way, we can make it simpler and we can still make the incentives for the salespeople that are involved or that are stimulating to sell or bring these customers online and, and buy stuff. But we can simplify it. And that is just one example, but you can, you can think of many more. And in the end, if you change that perspective and that inside uh, of that outside in approach, you can also reduce actually a lot of customization and start much quicker on the platform and be more successful. You actually brought very interesting points that I want to elaborate a bit on. What you said is how prepare is customer for digital transformation? What you mentioned and what I also saw with many B2B customers, there's a lot of kind of business process debt. Not technical uh, process. They, yeah. they just accumulated it. Yeah. You yeah. mentioned there's many pricing lists. Yeah. Yeah. For and example. when you start asking questions, most of people don't know how it's ended up. It's just due to historical reason. Like things yeah. happened because it made sense mm-hmm. five years ago, 10 years ago, and kind of you accumulated this. Many companies don't know the data. They may have bad quality of the data. Some of them may be duplicated, some of them missing and all of that. Again, there's internal folklore and internal knowledge that helps to work around this problem. Mm-hmm. If you're not, if you're doing inside organization, because yes, everybody yeah. knows this record is incorrect, but yeah. uh, they know where to find the correct data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you're pushing it to customers, it doesn't work. So I think this is a very important part. And you probably guys advising your customers the same way is first do some cleanup. Yeah. And you will clean up, make sure your data are correct, make, uh, see what you can simplify and all of that. And that is a big obstacle if you don't do it. Yeah, take it even a little bit further, but maybe you don't know, or and, and a lot of the listeners will not know, but we have actually also tooling or let the system help to clean mm-hmm. it up or we can recognize because we are so much in the ERP. We know that a lot of data issues are there in this ERP. And it, it's not, a, not something to be shy of or something to be embarrassed, but every customer that we come across has that. It's just because a matter of these systems are being 
work with, with people and they make mistakes. We thought, okay, let's invest in tooling and intelligence to spot these errors. And that can be that we can recognize that customers have the wrong taxation rules connected to it, or it's not valid anymore, or they cannot even order all those, uh, or the, uh, not the correct address details are, are connected to it. All those stuff, we have intelligence around that saves our customers a lot of time, but yeah, just because it's, it's coming from a problem, right? But yeah, no, yeah. thanks for uh, elaborating. I think that was a, a very, very valuable part. And that is maybe also why a lot of B2B projects are failing is that they are taking that, that they are not ready for the digital transformation and still have a lot of depth in their processes and also in the technology mm -hmm. sometimes, but most of in the processes. And that they just want to make that copy from there to there from the so and not take the outside in perspective and really talk with the customers. What do you want? And that's something most of the time simpler than the internal processes. Okay. Yeah, time flies always when you're having fun. <laughs> but the last question I have is an interesting one because we started something new and I asked Kurt Anderson, so what you already mentioned, uh, the previous guest in our podcast. Mm -hmm. So what question he wants to ask to the next guest, so to you. So and he was talking a lot by talking about the topics he should find that niche or finding your the niche and he what he meant with that is that yeah what is that unique thing or that you solved in a project or what's um whatsoever in the b2b space so that question is now also for you so maybe you have a story or an example on the different platforms that you have worked or on the different projects that you have worked where you were really looking for or that you had a problem but you really niched it down that you say okay yeah we we went to a very detail to solve something and that was, that made it unique. Or then, then we found the value, let's say. So is there an example that you have to share where you, where you went mm -hmm. into, into detail or where you say, Hey, this was an interesting area. It's an interesting question. I read it's also when you niche down and then went into a rabbit hole and had yeah, the courage yeah. <laughs> to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I want to share from my experience in Hybras, we were doing a lot of interesting work there of creating a commerce solution for different type of industries and different mm -hmm. type of things. So the first was a kind of B2C. I know in Hybras at the time they were called accelerators. Yeah. yeah. So it was B2C first, then B2B solution, then we implemented solution for telco, then for other services, financial, travel, and all of that. And every time when we were doing this, the easiest way to do it was to basically take the current version of the code, fork it, basically make a clone, mm -hmm. and develop it. Yeah, mm -hmm. That was the fastest way to do it, like obviously. But at some point, we ended up with a four version of the solution. Sales team was promoting this as a kind of everything works everywhere with one platform which was not true at that point. And I was in charge of this industry-specific solution, and we needed to build financial accelerator for banks, insurance companies, and then travel industry mm -hmm. was next, and government was next. And I said, okay, so it's a point of nowhere because we were spending so much time maintaining all of that. We're having problems with customers because we're promising that this feature from B2C works in B2B and it doesn't. So I took a decision, we put a kind of a stop on it, and we said, we're going to create standard platform, and we're going to rework each of them to work on it, which was a super scary decision. So we really kind of, we were in this hole, and I knew that I will take, we were releasing every three months, but I knew it will take me six months to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and I need to put multiple teams on it. Yeah. Because otherwise it's not going to be done. And they said, okay, and after I'm done, think what I'm going to write in my release notes. <laughs> like, <because laughs> you deliver, what do you deliver to customer? yeah? So we actually done it. I'm super proud of it. So all of them were brought to the same base and then you were developed. That also allowed our partners to develop other solutions. 
What was was surprising also to me is that there was such discrepancy between them that I don't know bundles and subscriptions were not available for B two C customers, for example, mm-hmm. because they were yeah. developed inside Telco Accelerator. Yeah. So. Actually, my release notes were uh, three pages uh, on, on each solution just because we enabled all this. We deliver all this value across all these platforms. It's kind of this okay. one of the funny stories that I carry. <laughs> no, 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 of course. And yeah, sometimes you just have to make these bold choices, right? But I think it's good for the product people listening because I also know that they are listening to this podcast because sometimes we cover also product-related topics, is that, yeah, I think it's nine out of 10 times, it's always a wise decision to focus on standardization to bring things together and not have multiple solutions next to each other. Because at the end, you will always, it looks sometimes like quick, but you always will end up in technical debt. At some point, yeah. Yeah, at some point in time. So, no, that's great. And if you, yeah, sometimes we have, or I've experienced small parts of these as well, because we, yeah, well, I mentioned we're coming from agencies. So sometimes we could take these customizations rather quickly and bundle them. And then, yeah, you have these moments in life as a product person that it sometimes feels too uh, good to have a a big release, like at least that it feels that you can give your salespeople and your customers, yeah, a new perspective, say, hey, look at in six months what we all achieved, right? So, No, cool story. Yeah, and that was really a bold choice and then and niching down to the problem, right? To bring it back to one solution. What would be your question for the next guest? Something general about B2B or something about product? Doesn't matter. We will see if he he or she can answer it. Do you have an exciting question for um for him or sure, sure. Yeah, because Kurt gives me a quite complex question, so I want to play back <laughs> <laughs> So I want your next guest to give an example of B2B product or services. That would be really challenging to sell online. We will see if she can answer it, but that's a great question. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. So summarizing a bit, it went really quick, but you shared some lessons about product management, product development, but also how you can apply them, I think, as a B2B store owner so that you have that North Star, for example, but also a lot of other things about adoption, for example, on the on the platform, Hamlet, you do not need to copy your backend processes, how it was there for years, but maybe look at it from another perspective. Hire maybe a B2C person and not to forget, um, also invest in understanding the topic if you're new to it. And then, uh, yeah, the courses that you supply can be of great help. So, yeah, I think it was a very nice and value session, Michael. So thank you very much. Wish you a pleasant day. Thank you, Aaron. It was not my pleasure. Yeah.